0: Hey, pull up a chair, it's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy.
1: Uh, As the governor said, we've had temperatures explode this summer. Uh, You may have learned that we broke a world record in the Death Valley,
2: 130 degrees. But even in greater LA, 120 plus degrees.
1: And we're seeing this warming trend make our summers warmer, but also our winters warmer as well. So I think one area of mutual agreement and priority is vegetation management. But I think we want to work with you to really recognize the changing climate and what it means to our forests and actually work together with that science. That science is going to be key, because if we if we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians.
3: Okay. It'll start getting cooler. <laughs> I you wish just, You just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't think science knows, actually.
2: We start today's episode off with some good news. Pay no attention to the apocalyptic orange smoke or the red skies because chief scientist Donald Trump has weighed in, and it's just going to start cooling off. Mike, I noticed you've got a brand-new L.A. tan at 120 degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> so uh, I, I, you must be excited to know it's all just going to cool off.
0: Yeah, I've been busy all day browsing firesuit dot com, and they're fortunately raising prices now due to the huge demand here. Yeah, it uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know that that thing made me laugh. I should be crying, but that. That, that bit with Trump and the climate scientists made me laugh because it reminded me of the classic movie The Thing, the original one, where the large monster James Arnest shows up and there's, of course, the two-fisted Air Force guy. Let me at that thing, Doc. I'll shred it like a carrot. And, there, of course, there's the professor. And this being a Cold War paranoia film, the professor says, no, no, he's from a much more advanced planet. I'll reason with him. And the professor walks up to the big monster and says, friend from space, you have so much to teach us. We can come together in the fraternal universe of science, become friends. And the monster just looks at him, takes a beat, pulls out the ray gun, and boom, the guy's gone. That was Trump. There was a guy who actually knows something about all this. And and Trump immediately did the... uh, the, uh, the the bam-bam reaction. Yeah, it'll get cooler. Get yeah, Clorox. Get Clorox involved. So anyway, that's our president. Now 49 days out, we are here hacking and tapping, and joining us is my old friend, a great hackaroo, the Ayatollah of political polas, a great strategist on the Democratic side, and uh, he's from northern Ohio, so he can't be wrong about anything but football. The one and only Mark Melman is here. Central Ohio. Oh, Central <laughs> Ohio. I thought you were from Canton. Columbus. Colum- oh, oh, there goes my whole intro. Well, next time I'll do my homework. But anyway, Ohio Buckeye friend, good to have you here, Melman, to talk all about everything.
1: Delighted to be with both of you, two of my favorite people who I see too little. Well, here we are,
0: 49 days out, California's on fire. Um, what what do we think the uh state of the race is? And I'll throw it to both of you with the question. Joe Biden kind of counterattacked with climate change on this. Is climate change an issue that's that's gonna work in the electoral swing states? Is it high order enough in the Michigans and Wisconsin's or the Floridas and Arizonas enough to be material? Or is it, it kind of a secondary issue? But you know, Biden's gotta, gotta keep his folks happy and it was a smart thing to say. What do we what do we think about climate change in, in this year's election?
1: Well, look, the reality is there are a lot of people who care deeply, a lot of people who care deeply about climate change. And some of them are very important swing voters, people who voted for bernie sanders for example uh, in the primaries people who voted for third party candidates four years ago and helped uh, swing the election to donald trump so there's a lot of important constituencies that are very concerned about climate change but second it connects up that issue connects up to a larger uh, science denial of which trump is guilty he said climate change was a hoax he said coronavirus was a hoax uh this is his response to science when things happen that are problematic but scientific he calls them a hoax, and this is just par for his course.
2: Yeah, I, I got to think that you, you're sitting in the suburbs, you're college educated, uh, you're thinking through the mistake of having maybe voted for Trump once, and you're you're watching the images literally of the hills on fire, the smoke and the pictures, the orange and red skies, and you're thinking, uh, I don't think it's just going to disappear. I don't think it's just going to start cooling off, and uh, I, you know... It, I don't think Trump ever misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Um, it's really astounding. I, I I think Biden was smart to get out there. I, I don't know if the the bite I saw that got picked up was climate arsonist, and I'm not entirely sure what that means. Um, but I do think hammering away at an issue that's important to the suburbs is always good seven weeks out.
0: I think Mark made a good point, too. I Living out here— um, I've been stunned by the amount of friends and relatives I have from Michigan where I grew up or Florida where I have friends or other places who've called because they see it on TV. Are you okay? Is your garage on fire? Who's gonna get your car if you go up and smoke? You know. <laughs> my relatives are quite concerned, but it's clearly top of mind in a lot of places that aren't California. And, you know, some of those places are very important political real estate right now. So uh I think, you know, with the kind of wrong track we have now, anything bad is bad for Trump. And I, I thought Biden was fairly adroit to to make the connection, maybe baiting Trump into some more tweets today as we record this about phony baloney science or denial. I mean, to the extent that Trump can stumble in that and only reinforce the problems he's already got.
2: You know, it's a good segue. Mark, you brought up science and and the denial of it. Uh, as we get into the state of the race, you know, the 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 place that Trump spent the weekend was, uh, was in Nevada. And, uh, Boy, you know, we spent a, an episode or so ago talking about Bob Woodward and and, and whether Donald Trump was trying to downplay uh, the significance of COVID and the dangers of it. And Uppie pops on Sunday with an indoor rally of several thousand people in a state that the White House Coronavirus Task Force and the governor uh, suggest and believe that You shouldn't have more than 50 people in a room at a time. I mean, he, he's not just denying science. He's not just downplaying its, uh, impact He's living it (laughs) to Bob Woodward on a phone call. He he's right. It's, it's, it's there in the open. They're selling tickets to the event.
1: It's really remarkable. Absolutely. Look, he's endangering people. He's endangering his own supporters and he's doing so in violation of the laws of the state of Nevada at the moment. And he somehow says that the laws of Nevada don't apply to him. I mean, it's just part of his overall, uh, foolish and narcissistic personality disorder. Um, But it is a very, very sad commentary that we have the president of the United States putting people in danger for his own benefit at these rallies. And I saw on one of the stations last night, uh, Trump was asked by somebody about putting these people in danger. And he said, well, no, I'm okay because I'm, I'm far away from everybody else. Well, you know, it's not just about you. Yeah, it's right. about the other people <laughs> in the audience. It's about the tens of thousands of people in Nevada who could get sick. Yeah, some of the rubes may get it, but I'm fine.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's not a sucker of them. Did we sell them enough hats. What's our markup on those <laughs> things? Ah, one born every minute. Well, here's a question because, Mark, you have crunched so many numbers in Nevada. You're, you're banned from every casino. You've worked all the big
1: races out there. What the hell is Trump doing in Nevada? Well, look, Nevada... I think Trump looks at Nevada as a real possibility for him. I think he's, he's going to be wrong. I think Biden's going to win Nevada. But I think they're looking at a couple things. First, they're looking at the fact that in the polls, at least, Biden is not doing as well with Latino voters. Critical segment in Nevada. Second, they're looking at the fact that uh, he's doing, uh, that Trump does better with some non-college educated whites. And that's an important segment in nevada as well third they're looking at an economy that has been shut down importantly and that really makes it difficult for the the very strong nevada machine uh to do all the work that it does normally the the high touch the democratic machine democratic machine sorry yes democratic machine has problems uh because casinos aren't working people aren't in their union halls and so on and so forth um so I think they look at that as a as a potential opportunity. At the end of the day, I think they're going to lose Nevada. I think he's going to lose the country. But I think they do look at it as an opportunity to switch a state. And honestly, there aren't too many states you can think about that he has a real chance of yeah. flipping from Clinton to, to him.
0: Nevada or Minnesota? What's the better Trump moonshot? And those are kind of the top two, I think, as far as
1: flipping from sixteen. Yeah, I was going to say those are the only two uh, that that really can can even possibly imagine. I, I think you know Nevada may be a slightly better shot than Minnesota, uh, but you know either one could go. I think neither of them will in the end
2: the only other state that I might add in there is uh, New Hampshire. Um, I- I- at least in terms of, if you look at the, the, the margin from 2016, it was only a little less than 3000 votes in, in Nevada, 27,000 votes, Minnesota, 44,000 votes. Those are the three States in, in this idea that they're going to pull voters out that, that, that are part of their base, but haven't shown up or didn't show up. And so I think that's the, the place that, uh, that they look at it and see could be a possibility. Uh, let, let's dive in. I mean, I, I know one of the things, gosh, as I look through mailbag questions and, and as you talk to Democrats throughout the country, <clears throat> Mark, they're um, apoplectic about this Latino vote issue. And uh, I, I, everybody is, I think, furiously Googling all about this because uh, the bedwetting that we refer to every mm-hmm. week on the show has uh, has begun.
1: No question about it. People are worried about it. And look, no community should be taken for granted. No community can be taken for granted, and that certainly includes the Latino community. But the reality is, Latino community has tended to be a late deciding community. African Americans used to be late deciding. That's not so true anymore. But Latinos are late deciding. So the truth is, Trump's not doing so much better among Latinos as he did before. It's just that there's a lot more undecided Latinos than there are in other segments, and those people are pretty likely to end up with uh, with Biden in the end. But look. The, it's a community that needs to be worked, that needs to have attention. Uh, and I think the Biden campaign, to its credit, is giving them the attention that they need and deserve.
0: We uh, just got a poll back in Florida, David Hill poll from that we're doing at the IEM, working on Orange Crush with Republican voters against Trump, ourvet.org, make your check payable to Liberty. And or uh, just directly to Mike Murphy. Yeah, or well, that that's the old direct mail joke. Make your check payable to Californians Against Seal Hunting or cash, or Christians Against Secular Humanism. There are about ten of them. Those are the jokes. They that got. did
2: not work out as well for Bannon as.
0: Uh. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, you would think he would have learned. He's not the first guy to wear the bracelets on that scam. But to my point about Florida, so that you know, there's been some special trouble there. So we ran numbers. Good news, we got. We got Biden up just outside the margin right at it, which is which is a good sign. But it's competitive. It's Florida. But the Latino tab, which is about 20 percent of the electorate down there. Trump was narrowly ahead. So we broke out Broward and and Dade and West Palm. And there is a Cuban cut there. In other words, if if, uh, now the Cubans traditionally in Florida have been Republican, particularly older Cubans, younger Cubans have been defecting in droves. But Trump is selling some tickets there on the old Caudillo thing. I don't think Kamala Harris is a big home run in Dade County with older Cuban men. Um, there, There is some work to be done there. But the good news for Biden, I think, is because Miami is such a Democratic finance center. There's a Harold Ben Dixon poll a week or so ago that was not so good in Dade County. That has started a massive donor scream of pain, as you say, the, the endless battle between Republicans, the stupid party under Trump, and Democrats, the always neurotic party, that now every battleship Turret in the Biden Navy is turning toward. I would love to be a Latino consultant right now because there's there's <laughs> there's money looking to be spent. Uh, so um, my guess is a regular rise. But there's no doubt in Florida, particularly of Cuban voters, that Trump is doing better than he did last time. It's the only group you can say that about. So uh, I think some attention needs to be paid, and we're, we're sure going to do it at our vet. But it's been interesting to me because it, it it's weird, and I'm curious in the causation of why a group would go up when every other group has gone down. And I, I think, Mark, you're probably arguing, I think you'd be right, that at the end when decision comes, there'll be kind of a revert to mean factor probably going on to some extent. But there is something weird going
1: on in Florida. I think that's true. But look, Florida is unique in terms of its Latino community. It has yeah. a very large population of, of Cuban Americans. That's, that group as a group is not so large anyplace else. Uh, and they obviously have a unique history um, vis-a-vis the both parties vis-a-vis Castro and so on um so it is a it is a very unique kind of community but i think nationally we're going to see latinos end up not be very different in the end from where they were uh four years ago strongly in the democratic corner and,
0: and on the cuban thing just quickly biden can do himself some good with policy you know a little tougher line on some of the 10-plated dictators uh would work well. That's to any Biden people listening. By the way, also put up a site with some video footage so the IEs have something to work with. Uh, just a little technical note.
2: Now that we've got that business out of the way, yeah, one of the yeah, things the F E C
0: uh, will put you guys in jail too. You were here,
2: <laughs> right, right? Great, great. Thanks. We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll be sure to trade cigarettes with Bannon. <laughs> Stay tuned as we pay some bills and you listen to some ads.
3: You know, Gibbs. Every once in a while, uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, "Ax, you make me nauseous." But nausea is nothing to joke about.
2: It's like getting stuck in the back of a car, and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in, and you just you get that feeling, and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah, a
3: and 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 like you're on your way to something good, a a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous, and you can't get rid of it. Except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band.
2: Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more.
3: The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero. For as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band it stimulates a nerve in the wrist that
2: travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift.
3: I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. Right
2: right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee.
3: So head to R E L I E F B A N D. Dot .com and use our promo code hacks for 20% off plus free shipping.
2: You mentioned the 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 Armada coming to uh, Latino voters. How much of a difference does Mike Bloomberg moving 100 million dollars worth of chips into the middle of the table? How, what is how much does that buy in a place like Florida with uh, with seven weeks to play? A lot. Well, let's put it this way.
1: Florida, you know, you look at the last election. <clears throat> Florida was essentially a tie. You had a gubernatorial election and a Senate election that were both, I think, within 1,500 votes. Um, so it's essentially a, a tie, jump ball state. And $100 million can make a difference. Can it, can it buy the whole state? No, but can it buy 1,400 votes? <laughs> Pretty easily. <laughs>
0: you know, the thing people forget about Florida there are over 13 and a half million registered voters. Participation will be probably north of 10 million. But in the last couple of elections, the margin in the presidential has been under 115,000 votes. So the fulcrum voters that really decide what's going on there are a couple hundred thousand. So look at it that way. Take, say, half a million voters and apply 100 million to them. Your, your spend per voter, you get to really move in with them and make a real pitch. Um, so e- e- spent right $10, $20 million in Florida can make an impact. And a hundred will also allow them to widen the battlefield a little bit. They'll be able to play in all four corners. They'll be able to make a run at the panhandle to chip them down there. There's work to be done, and it's tough. Mark made this allusion to the fabled Nevada machine. In in Florida, there's as the Latino problem gets better, Puerto Ricans who tend to be more democratic, you have a lot of people who left uh, Puerto Rico to live with relatives in Orlando, but they've got to be registered to vote in Florida. And that's a pick and shovel field operation, and, you know, that sort of thing. So there's, there's all kinds of great ways to apply money in Florida. And I, I give Bloomberg a, a big salute. I even couldn't resist a snarky tweet that for all the insults of the debate, it turns out that Mike Bloomberg is going to have about 100,000 times as much impact on the race as Elizabeth Warren. So there's, <laughs>
1: there's a little justice in the end for those of us who are like capitalism. Well, and I just add one other point, Mike, What you were talking about in terms of the panhandle. Uh, The reality is chipping away at some of these other areas that have been traditionally very Republican, like the panhandle, uh, very, very important. If you can reduce the margin, the Republican margin, by a bit in the panhandle, they're not going to win the panhandle. If you can reduce that Republican margin a bit, that can be all the difference between winning and losing.
0: What are you seeing, just as somebody who looks at a lot of polling
1: uh, around the country, where do you think the race is really at, Mark? So, there's no question that Joe Biden is ahead, and I think there's no question he's ahead nationally by a larger margin than Hillary Clinton was at this point. Um, it's not as clear that he's ahead by a larger margin in all the swing states. Uh, some yes, some no. Uh, so, that's a little bit of a dicier proposition. But the reality is, you can't win the electoral college by, sorry, the popular vote by six or seven or eight points and lose the electoral college. It's just not arithmetically possible. Uh, in the real world, to make it's theoretically possible, but it's not actually possible in the real world to do that. So uh, Biden he is ahead; he's ahead of where Clinton was at this point. There's certainly some softness in some individual states, which is a matter of concern. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to fall into place for two hundred for more than two hundred seventy electoral votes.
2: Mark, where are the states that 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 keep you up at night? What are the what are the places that make you a little nervous besides maybe the three that we we touched on as places that Trump is. Wants to try to flip the script?
1: Sure. Well, there are those three for sure. But there's also uh, places that that, I don't want to say we're counting on, but places that were invested heavily in, uh, like Michigan, and the Trump one last time, like Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin. uh, Those are places that still could go uh, in a Trump direction. I don't think they will, uh, but I think it's it's possible uh, in all of those cases, uh, in all three of those cases. you know, there are other states as well that are very much on the bubble or could be on the bubble, uh, depending on how well Trump does overall.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think the one thing that if if you're a Democrat, that you look at some of these polls, particularly in the states, we remind people that the national polling is fun and interesting to look at. It may give you some larger trends, but we elect presidents through a series of these state contests. And so, um, you know, I'm struck by the fact that so many of these state polls show Trump at 42, 43 percent of the vote under where he was getting in 2016 uh, and, and still it looks like a bit a, a bit of his sort of vote from there minus maybe some seniors, maybe some suburban voters. What are the What are the places, not just geographically, but where where are the swing
1: populations that we should be watching in some of these numbers? A couple things to keep in mind first of all one question that we have is uh, about undecideds. The truth is we have a lot fewer undecideds this time. We've got about half as many people who are undecided or voting for third parties as we did uh, four years ago. That just means there's less room for movement so and less room for volatility. So if Donald Trump's at 42, it's a hell of a lot harder to get to the 50 uh, if, you're, if you've only got 7% undecided at that point. Um, so that's one point. Second point you have to think about in terms of those uh, those numbers that Trump's posting. Um, has to do with how those undecideds are going to break. And once upon a time, the case was that undecideds broke towards the challenger. People knew the incumbent. They knew they didn't like him in this case. And the only question was, did they know enough about the challenger to vote for him uh, in a positive way? Uh, The reality is that changed. Uh, It's not the case anymore that undecideds break towards the challenger. It hasn't been for for many years now. Uh, For a while, uh, undecideds were breaking towards Republicans. Then they were breaking as the electorate does at large. Uh, the problem is we don't know how to figure out which way it's gonna be. Uh, so we see undecideds, we don't know how they're gonna break, and that is, leaves a lot of room for for worry uh, for all of us. Um, the third point is the kind of demographics that you're talking about, uh, Robert. Um, the reality is almost every group nationally has moved away from Trump. You look at rural voters, certainly in 2018, they moved significantly from when they were, were in 2016. Um, But the truth is, not all rural voters are the same. Rural voters in California are not the same as rural voters in North Dakota. Um, And so when you look at those national crosstabs, if you will, uh, you can be misled as well. Uh, So the reality is Biden's pumping up his support in big Democratic states. Trump is not really moving his support dramatically in big Republican states. Um, The question is, these swing states that have been the same swing states have been on the table for uh, for years now that we've talked about and how they fall, but in the end of the day, you know, you rightly said it's it's fifty fifty one state separate state contests, but that national number still influences that. It's very hard to win nationally by seven eight points and lose the electoral college. It's easy to win by two points as Hillary yeah. Clinton did and lose the electoral college if you're a Democrat.
0: Only happened five times in American history that they've been different. And uh, here's a quiz question: You know who invented the electoral college? Alexander Hamilton. That's the one song that didn't make the musical. You know, what was I thinking? <laughs> la la la. Uh, question mark for you. So here's my nightmare as somebody who is renting, not buying Democrats this year. A proud conservative, but I, I've despised Trump since 92. When I got to deal with him in New Jersey, working for Christine Todd Whitman. When you look at the data, the the one filament that the Trump spider is hanging from, you know, election tomorrow he'd lose. But the, the one kind of bright hope for him he is still perceived at least right now as being better at managing the economy than joe biden now you can argue about the margin some polls say four florida says eight if the issue agenda moves to the economy in october because there's any kind of mania about oh vaccine's coming we can relax a little on COVID. again perception reality issue what, what does Biden do to cut that number? Because that, that is the one thing Trump still has, and that would worry me if I were the Biden people.
1: It, it is the one advantage he has. It's not necessarily a, a decisive advantage by any stretch of the imagination, uh, either in terms of the size of the gap or even the importance of the, the measure. Uh, we're in a very uncertain economic period. Uh, there's just no question about that. Um, the key argument about Trump is failure. It's failure on COVID. It's failure on the economy. It's failure on Uh, climate. uh, It's a whole host of failures. Uh, And I don't think, I think it's be very hard for Trump to turn around that fundamental perception, um, even with a better economy or the idea of a vaccine. And again, look at the polls on vaccine. People think that a vaccine is not going to be real. They think it's going to be the result of political pressure. So he's already done himself, his credibility, so much damage that even the one thing that could save him, he's destroyed. (laughs) <laughs> he does have that knack to get in his own way always
2: two things that i think are interesting also about 2020 we had about 8 million votes in 2016 and went to third party candidates uh that it looks like this year i mean maybe like like in 2000 2004 the consequences of of a protest vote are now much more apparent to people i thought it was interesting yesterday um, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, despite having a Republican majority, decided to uh, not uh, keep the Green Party on uh, on the ballot in Wisconsin, which is uh, pretty important for the, uh, the race in uh, a very important state. My favorite, though, was um, the Green Party was also knocked off the ballot in Montana, and, and this was from the AP story. I just have to read it. This is the second time in two years that the Green Party has been knocked off the ballot, and it says... Um, uh yeah second time in two years the montana green party's candidates were stripped from the ballot it's never it was never determined who is behind the 2018 effort to get green party candidates on the on the montana ballot but the montana green party said they were not involved (laughs) um which i i I, I, like you i almost fell out of my chair reading that this morning uh gives you a sense i mean obviously and, and you're seeing this. You're just not seeing as many third parties.
0: Yeah, it's it's crushing news for all those vegan voters in Montana who who are looking forward to expressing their their lonely view in that
1: state on a on a green ticket. But good news for the Dems, right? All those pieces. Absolutely, you're right, Robert. I mean, no question that those people who in the past have voted for third party candidates are disproportionately falling for Joe Biden this time in pretty big numbers. Look, it's also true among the people. You know, people decided the last election were the about eighteen percent. That hated both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, um, and they went by for 20 points by a 20 point margin. Went for uh, uh, went for Trump this time by an even bigger margin. It's a smaller group, but they're going for Biden over Trump. So you look at that group. You look at the group of people who voted third party last time. They're overwhelmingly coming in a Biden uh, direction. You look at people who had not voted in 2016. They're who are turning out already, already requesting absentee ballots and beginning the process? They're overwhelmingly leaning uh, in a Biden direction. So we have a lot of different participants in the in the two party process this time that are going for Biden.
2: Maybe just to get your opinion on this too, uh, Mike, because you're as you said you're working Orange Crush in Florida. But I, I can remember many a day sitting in a campaign headquarters or uh, at, at the DSCC reading a Mark Melman polling memo of uh, how to take a poll and how to take the vote that you want to move on Election Day and, and talk to it. it to, to that end, you know, Trump's strategy is this idea that they're his base voters that just didn't participate in 2016. He's going to spend a lot of money to try to get them to participate in 2020 because he's losing some of the demographic groups we talked about. How, how hard is that
0: to motivate the non-voter? Oh, it's impossibly. High. Well, not impossible. It is very difficult. It's the Wunderweppen in theory. I mean, they're sitting around Trump headquarters. And keep in mind, they spend 80 percent of their day just trying to convince the president not to set his hair on fire and run outside and bite a child. You know, they don't have a lot of time for regular campaign stuff. And that doesn't work Second, well. Second. <laughs> yeah, no. And they're losing that war. The hair on fire might work to his benefit. <laughs> There's a lot of combustion there that go up. Uh, you probably see it from space. But so here's the problem they're sitting around trump headquarters when they're not dealing with their cuckoo candidate and most of them are dregs by the way the respectable types have all defected or won't won't be part of this to their credit but they say all right hey we're losing this election we're in a demographic cul-de-sac of grumpy old white guys and there aren't enough of them trump still thinks he's in a republican primary we're getting crushed in the suburbs women college educated white individuals. you know we got all these problems so let's change the electorate let's find more grumpy old Uh, non-college educated white guys and get them to vote and therefore put a big thumb on the scale. The problem is, if you're a Trump lover, I'm not sure you missed the last four years and decide now is the time to go help Trump. Um, You can find them, you know, in the census data. They exist. They haven't participated. But there was a lot of banging on gongs and marching parades for, for Trumpism when Trump started with more energy than he has now because it was new and interesting. I think you'd join the parade then. Now, technically, they're going to scrape and find a couple. But in a presidential year, turnout is already organically quite high. And, you know, one of the decisions people make in politics is not only who to vote for, but whether to participate or not. And then people who decide not to participate in a presidential election, it is very hard to convert a lot of them into voters. You can try different groups of of demography, have different responses, different approaches work. But, you know, there's some in special elections and off year changing the electorate can be more effective, but it's always hard to get people to do something different. Uh, so I just don't think there's nearly as big of a pool as they think. And secretly, I think they know it. They're desperate. They got to have something to put on the PowerPoint to tell Trump so nobody throws an ashtray at them. Uh, but I, 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 what they should do is what he can't do. And Mark alluded to this. He should have been an effective president. He should have used the COVID crisis to bump his numbers. And he should have done what most politicians would do, which is after the midterm elections, hey, the suburb hates me. What are 12 things we can do with the White House motor and microphone to get them back? But Trump's the atomic clock of Trump. He just does the same thing every day. And it's great for winning Republican primaries. But I I doubt very much they're going to be able to drag enough people in to offset
1: all the problems they have you make a fascinating point mike just think about the governors so many governors almost every governor yeah did so much better in the early stages of COVID. at least their numbers skyrocketed because they handled mm-hmm. it well or they were appearing to handle it well from the point of view of the voters in their state the one person who didn't make any meaningful gains out of COVID, donald trump because he handled it so freaking poorly and that is just turned. that's killing him and I think the election, honestly, was already sort of well in place before then. People decided long ago. You know, the whole idea that
0: Trump is just in trouble now, it this, these problems have been going on. Look at all the midterm elections. Look at the specials. Republicans have been getting pounded for a long time. So it's not like
1: this just made it worse because he missed the lifeboat. Exactly. That's the point. This is the one thing that could have helped him. It helped other gov- It helped governors around the country. He was the chief executive. He was the only chief executive who had failed to help and that's because he turned it into a negative rather than a positive
0: so we're going to take a minute here to go pay some bills with a little commerce but then we'll be back with Mark Mellon.
2: we sit here at seven weeks to the election but more importantly maybe two weeks to the first debate Um, you know, Mark, from your perspective in looking at these races for years and years, how much impact, especially given the just tiny number of undecideds, how much impact do you expect these debates to have, and particularly this first debate, to be held in your home state of Ohio in two weeks?
1: the, the sort of socially acceptable answers to say these debates are critically important they'll decide the outcome it's ridiculous. <laughs> you there, got the wrong podcast, that's not <laughs> <us>. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They're just, We're socially unacceptable. <laughs> and also correct. Uh, there's just no evidence that any debate has ever decided a presidential election. The one example that people trot out is 1960 and the truth is there's a lot of questions about whether that happened the way people uh, outline in any event. But you know I worked for John Kerry, won every single debate, didn't do him a lot of good uh, when it came to November. Uh, Hillary Clinton won every single debate, didn't do her a lot of good when it came to November. So it just doesn't make that much difference. Now, the one thing that's different here, that, that's the experience—that's within the range of experience that we have. We don't know what happens if somebody goes out and drools into the camera for 20 minutes or the functional equivalent thereof. Um, and, well, they get elected president, but that, that's only happened <laughs> once. But that's entirely possible. And, you know, it, it could, and look, I once had a client, wonderful woman who was running for mayor of a major city. She fainted in the debate. Um, it killed her campaign. She fainted on television. Um, she's she's never had been sick since. She was never sick before that. Uh, she fainted, but it was, had huge impact. Um, that's the kind of thing, and I'm not talking about fainting, but just essentially being able to really, <laughs> uh, not being able to handle oneself in a reasonable way during the debate can have an impact but that's not something we've seen even Donald Trump last time was able to do well enough to win the election
2: i don't know what people are now supposed to do going into the spin room uh, because now we can't say that, that we we can't go in there and say well look I, we won the debate and the debates don't matter so mark <laughs> yes. whatever you do don't let don't let any of this get in the way of a good story
0: Absolutely not. I just have to interject one story because I know our hackaroos out there listening love this kind of stuff. I'm not going to use names. You guys probably both know the story. But speaking of feigning at the debate, there was a candidate once who had a fear of television studios because in an earlier debate or TV interview, a light fell and hit the candidate on the head. So needless to say, it was pretty hard to get the candidate back into a studio without kind of vibrating and and, being scared and looking at the ceiling a lot, which doesn't play well at home. So for the big debate in the close race, the campaign manager decided the candidate needed to unwind a little because that candidate was so tense in the debate. So slipped the candidate a little, little, uh, Mickey of a, of a, a drug and just a uh, tranquil, you know, the, the, the. Valium or something well the media consultant had the same idea and didn't talk to the manager so the media consultant got a, a quick two shots of whiskey down the throat before they went out and so the two drugs interacted live on TV the candidate started doing puff the magic dragon debating an imaginary goat yeah and it, it led to a statewide defeat it's one of the legendary debate stories don't drug your candidate is fine just don't have two different people drug the candidate and not cooperate
2: yeah, I was say, what's the moral of this story <laughs>
0: yeah, the, the <laughs> moral of the story is transparency in candidate narcotics, and I, I, I give that advice to the Trump team. Now, I, 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 Mark, I agree with you on debates, but I, I would have one slight contrarian point this time. Biden is not that well defined other than old senator. Now, the Democratic machine is trying to define him as all kinds of good things. And my guess is they have enough money and skill to be able to do that. And when we hit the 29th, that'll happen. But because of the frenetic, crazy nature of a Trump debate with the drooling and the shouting and the magic tricks, it is, I think, an opportunity for Biden to be seen by the country and potentially, hopefully not, make some sort of defining mistake. So I do worry about kind of the risk management of it. The most likely thing is nothing. Both sides are dug in. There's some theatrics. We move on to breathless punditry. But I do think there are some stakes there for Joe Biden to kind of break through on who he is at a higher level as attention paid. So if I were the Biden campaign, I would be, I would be focused on downside
1: protection at this thing for him. So I think there's risks there. I think you're right, and that's really what I was trying to say. There can be some unusual circumstances. But, look, the reality is the Biden campaign, to all reports, is taking this debate very, very seriously, and Trump is not taken seriously at all, as is the case with most things. He'll just do his act. No practice, no prep. He's just going to go out there and, as you say, do his act, tell his jokes.
2: One of the things we're going to see a lot of in the next seven weeks are uh, uh, lots of polls, lots of polls out on Twitter, really a lot of, uh, as I tell people, State polls, particularly, you tend to get what you pay for, right? If somebody approaches a TV station and says, we can do a statewide poll for $2,000, uh, it doesn't, you don't tend to get it. And the one thing I also hear from people is, oh, the polls were all wrong in 2016. They're all going to be wrong in 2020. So what is your what is your guidance for people as they're perusing this? And and as we said in an episode previously, remember, read polling news on the ground floor of buildings, not above the third floor uh, in the last seven weeks of this campaign.
1: That's exactly right. Look, the reality is pretty simple, which is to say the national polls were pretty darn accurate in 2016. In fact, they are more accurate than the polls in 2012, the national polls.
0: But so we don't get mailed due to the context of why they're accurate. What did they measure? Not who's right. going to win, yes,
1: but... Exactly. What they measure is the popular vote. Right. And they were within a percentage point or so of the popular vote. So they were dead on in terms of measuring the popular vote. Where we had problems was with some of the state polls, uh, exactly as you say, Robert. There were state polls that were not, there were states that were under polled, and there were state polls in some of those states that were not very good uh, and turned out not to be very accurate. That's the problem because, importantly, as you say, you get what you pay for and people are willing to do things on the cheap. Good polling is hard these days. Good pulling is expensive these days, and if someone's not willing to pay the cost, they're not necessarily going to get a good pull. They will get a number, and they can put that number on their TV screen, and they can put it in their yeah. newspaper, but it's not necessarily going to be an accurate number. It's just going to be a number. And the truth is, too many of them just care about having a number as opposed to an accurate number.
0: I like to joke that even veterinarians can do heart surgery if they have to. But uh, <laughs> you know, better to get a cardiologist. Which is polling is hard, particularly now.
2: Why is it so hard? Well, I mean, you got a, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm in Illinois. You got this huge state. I just need 600 people. How on how, how, walk us through? I think this is for our listeners to. How is it so hard? How
0: does the sausage
1: get made, and why is it so difficult to do well? What makes a poll valid is that everybody has an equal probability of responding. Every voter has an equal probability of responding. There's lots of ways that we Lots of things that get in the way of that. So when I first started, you' call you have a you'd know all the landlines that were out there. You'd know how many uh, phones were attached to each working exchange. Uh, you'd be able to wave it properly. you'd call people up. people would be happy to answer the phone and answer your questions. That is not none of those things are true anymore. So we have you know we have cells and we don't know exactly where those people are often. Second, we have people who won't answer their phone just from, from uh, in response to a call from someone they don't know from a number they don't know. So it's very difficult to get people in the first place. It's very difficult to find the right people. And therefore, everybody doesn't have an equal probability of being contacted. And the end result of not everybody having an equal probability of being contacted is that you can, have, you can have very serious flaws in the poll. And so you had a lot of polls, for example, a lot of polls are really not polls of the public or of the electorate. They're polls of people who are easy to reach. Uh, and the people so are So if you're lonely
0: and like to talk, your, your odds of being in a poll sample are much higher. So explain weighting and
1: how you guys try to work around that to have quotas of different kind of people. Sure. So there's a lot of different things we do for this, but the reality is now most political pollsters, not so true of the media, but most political pollsters use voter files, and those voter yeah. files contain a lot of information about people. And so we can know with some precision what kind of people we are reaching, what kind of people are not reaching, and we can wait accordingly. We can say, look, we're, we underrepresented this set of people. We can push them up a little bit. We overrepresented this people. We can push them down a little bit in terms of the overall results. So it, it is a complicated process, but it's based on things that we actually know about people and who responded to us and who didn't. So if you know in a sample that you're a little light on college-educated
0: uh, Latino women, the 18 you got when you were hoping for 25, you can make their voice a little louder in the poll. through waiting You can make and it seem like there the are 25 body. of them. Exactly. Yeah, right, right, uh, and that's waiting, and that's very important, and that's some of the secret Secret sauce. Now, when you had a great joke about your mom, who used to always tell people, "My son, the pollster, and then you would get calls about that people's chairs and couches, <laughs> right? Exactly. But now, <laughs> now, see how I generously pitched you the the, <laughs> yeah. the punchline on that. I set you up. We had to we had to go back good. to Vegas and get our old act together. What do you tell people, just quickly? What's your advice to people in in your life who aren't in politics who come up and ask how to what do, what should I look for? How do I not go crazy? You know, what? What? what's a consumer
1: guide to public polling during October of a hard-fought election? So look, the, the, there are a couple of things. First, don't look at individual polls. Look at the averages. I say that as a pollster, and I I put a lot of more weight on my polls than I do on anyone else's. But if you're looking at public polls and if you're looking at numbers of them, as you can on the Internet, the reality is that uh, you ought to look at averages, not at any individual poll, because the reality is statistically, if a race is even, You're going to have some that are on one side showing Trump ahead. You're going to have some that show Biden ahead. Right, margin of error. Exactly. You're going to expect some of that. So there's going to be differences. And look, I mean, we had this going into the conventions. On the same day, you had the Washington Post release a poll saying that Biden's margin was the biggest ever. And you had CNN releasing a poll saying that Biden's margin was the narrowest ever. Well, both of those things were not true at the same time. But if you average those two polls... They showed the margin margin right. was about what it's been throughout. Do
0: you have a favorite public poll that you have extra kind of respect for or they're all kind of
1: equivalent. Now, look, I think a lot a lot of there's a lot of good national public polls. They have different strengths and different weaknesses. Uh, but again, even there, you look at the averages, not at any one individual poll.
2: Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to say and now who work from our sponsors. remember and if you go back into the 2012 election both campaigns went into that the night before that election i remember uh being in a small room on air force one where the president leaned in with axelrod pluff and me uh, all talking in the room and told us he did not want to see our faces knocking on his door telling him he didn't win the next night and uh we thought he was joking at first. And when he left, we were pretty sure he wasn't joking. But, uh, the, the, wasn't well, that people, when you send Pluff in send somebody else? in. we were, yeah. I, we told him if look, if things didn't work out, we'd be most of the way to Mexico by now, sir. <laughs> but it was interesting because the, the Romney people said the same thing. You know, the Romney people went in convinced they were, and, and it turns out to your point on waiting Mark, each campaign is making a determination as to what they think this electorate's going to look like. And in 2012, I mean, I think oddly, the, the one of the things the campaign, the Romney campaign decided was, you know, that, that African-American turnout, black turnout was not going to be as strong in, in 2012 as it was in 2008, because as somebody said they, that, well, you know, they've elected a black president. They're not going to be as excited. And I, I remember thinking to myself, look, there's one thing that, that that black voters were pretty excited about was making sure that uh, people understood how and why they'd voted in in 2008. So it gives you an interesting perspective of you can go into this with the same poll. Again, if you think the electorate's going to look different based on that weighting.
1: Exactly. And so one of the things that the the Romney folks did is to say, we think they thought the only people that are going to vote were the people who are the most likely to vote. But you know what? There's never been an election that's made up only of the most likely voters. Uh, Never happened that way. So, if you And if you looked at only those people, you're going to get a distorted picture of the reality. So there's a lot of places in this process for people to come out with wrong wrong ideas based on wrong analysis of the situation.
0: Well, well, people load the polling to their own biases. The Republicans like to pull the off-year electorate because we tend to do well. Problem is it's 25 to 30 percent smaller than the presidential electorate. So a lot of the Romney polling was, let's poll the people we know are going to vote the off-year Republicans. And so the polls were a little bit rosy for an on-year. On the other hand, I see sometimes liberal groups or liberal media in particular, they say, you know, everybody ought to vote. Everybody is right. So we're going to poll adults. You know, because damn it, we want to we want to talk to all the people who aren't even registered to vote. Now, why they do that, I don't know, but they tend to get a, a sample that kind of skews over in another way that may not be the electorate.
1: People just build their biases into it. I'll do my own advertisement here for my column in tomorrow's TheHill.com, which is actually (laughs) about this issue. of Must uh, read. It's very good. Of likely voters. The reality is if you're just looking for likely voters, you're going to make a mistake. You need to look at the likely electorate. Hardly anybody focuses on the likely electorate. That's sad because that's the group that really matters. The likely voters are going to be a majority, but not 100% of that electorate. If you only look at them, you're going to get steered in the wrong direction. Particularly
0: in a presidential race where just more people naturally participate.
1: All right, let's wrap up. We're almost out of
0: time. But before we go to the mailbag, quick question. Mark Melman, we'll put you on the spot. The famous hacks on tap super question, which we don't really have. We just kind of pulled it out of our ass right now. Senate races, if the election were held tomorrow, do you think the Democrats pick up the Senate? I do. And what's your favorite upset weirdo Senate race to keep an eye on? Mine is Montana.
1: I think Montana, Alaska uh, are both interesting Senate races that Democrats could win. Um, but I think Democrats will take care, of the, take over the Senate. I think, honestly, it depends importantly on how well Trump does or how well Biden does um, in some of these key states. You know, North Carolina is a state that Democrats should win the Senate seat. Um, if Trump were to win that state, it might change things a bit. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty to go in the Senate, but I think if it, if it were tomorrow, I think Democrats would win the Senate.
0: I think same with Iowa. Trump's margin is, is has to shrink there for the upset because that's a tight race now
2: when if you look at the uh, one of the states that uh, most of the states right now surprisingly based on the the what they talked about in terms of their their money raising ability is uh, is Biden's is outspending on television Donald Trump the one place where that's not true uh, and, and is a big big benefit for Trump is a place i think Biden's not really playing and that is in Georgia because uh, i think with those not just one but two senate races that is about tr- trying to buy some majority insurance in that place okay i think it's time
0: for
1: it's listener
0: now if you have a question for the hacks on tap email us at our secret listener hackeroo question line hacks on tap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. And by the way, if in the past you sent a question and you forgot to include the crisp $5 bill and we didn't ask it, <laughs> resend a question. Resend. Come on back because we never get to as many questions as we want. So don't be afraid to try a second time. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcast. It's very, very helpful because it tells that Apple algorithm to ignore Moscow and actually share the podcast with lots of other people. So that really helps us out. And if you have comments, I read them gibbs reads them axelrods people read them you know so so post your uh, post your comments no he actually reads them uh, we all do so thank you for that let's go to our first question
2: this one is for for mike this is from caleb who says he's a high school social studies teacher in southwest kansas so we wanted to get to this question he's actually got two the first one for is for you mike Murphy and Axe, what is your message to kids in rural and very red western Kansas about getting involved and interested in their first presidential election? They're trying to reconcile their Republican roots against their identification with things like Black Lives Matter, compounded with Republican delegation at the state level fighting the governor's response to COVID.
0: Well, that is a great question, uh, and Caleb, thank you for being a, a high school social studies teacher. Uh, if it hadn't been for Mr. Curry uh, back in Detroit in ninth grade, I might have honest work now. He really got me interested in American government, and one thing led to another. So I've always been very grateful to him, a truly great teacher. We all have them in our lives, so thank you for what you do, and hello to your kids there. My advice would be, or my, my thoughts on this question It's okay to vote Democrat if you're a Republican in special circumstances. You want to help save the Republican Party of free trade opportunity uh, and uh, the Atlantic Alliance with NATO and all the things we believe in? Help get rid of Trump because that'll help break the broken Republican Party and give people like your students who are coming up, an opportunity to build a new, better one and uh, and and have a, a better, more attractive, and more effective conservatism. So sometimes you gotta destroy something in order to save it. So if they're feeling the pull uh, to rent, not buy Democrats on one day of the year, I think it's perfectly fine. And regardless, there are lots of ways they can get involved, even if they're in red uh, Kansas. Uh, one, one, there's an interesting statewide uh, race there potentially, but more importantly, with the internet, you can be a volunteer in other states. I know people in California are working hard doing voter contact in Arizona. Uh, I know people in other states who are working hard on voter contact in Florida. So there's a lot of things you can do online from Kansas uh, to help your candidate win. And most of all, I encourage them to participate and take a role in building the new, better Republican Party that we're going to need to save us from people like Melman and Gibbs here. So this is a double question. We're we're going for extra credit here. So I'm going to give part two to my friend Robert. The question is, as strategist, how do you explain the validity of the Electoral College to a generation of high school kids who hear more and more about getting rid of the Electoral College, or at least, or at a minimum, amend the process to look more like Maine or Nebraska, which have their own special kind of rules that, Robert, you can kind of walk through.
2: Right. So Maine and Nebraska have, uh, uh, they award their electoral votes by congressional district, right? So there's... Uh, the congressional district in Nebraska that includes Omaha, the second congressional district in Maine, uh, which, which, you know, those are probably the two areas in those states that might vote differently than the broader statewide electorate. Look, it's a great question. And, and and, uh, earlier this year, before the weekend, before the Iowa caucus, my son and I drove over to watch campaign events. And literally the first question he asked me was, why do we have the electoral college? And do you think we should? Look, I would say this. I, I think It's the system we have, and it's the system we use to elect presidents, and we have for a long time, and that's certainly not going to change in 2020. I do think that long term, this is something that we're all going to have to grapple with. You know, There have been five occasions in U.S. political history where the winner of the popular vote and the winner of the Electoral College have been different, Uh, and that doesn't sound bad, five out of uh, a bunch of those elections. The challenge is two of those have been uh, since 2000. Uh, and I, I do not think it is tenable uh, for this to continue if we continue to have as Mark said earlier in the thing if, if, if we if the national popular vote dips in some of these national polls to three three and a half percent you've got a real challenge about the electoral college and I think it is unsustainable in the long term that we uh, essentially elect, A winner in the popular vote and award the White House to the winner uh, of the Electoral College. So I think that's going to be something I think Caleb your generation of students is going to
0: have to get us to a better solution. Okay now a question for our guest hacker room Mark Melman from Tony. All we hear is that Trump has not expanded his base doing worse with seniors doing worse with college-educated folks doing worse
1: with suburbanites. If true how in the hell can the race be so close? Well, the answer is really twofold. First of all, uh, he's doing a little bit better with some parts of his base. Uh, So that counterbalances doing worse with other groups. Second, as Robert was just saying, this election, all these presidential elections are decided by the Electoral College. And the distribution of those groups in different states is different. The distribution of college and non-college educated folks of minorities and whites in California is different than it is in Montana, it's different than it is in Georgia, Um, and the distribution of those groups makes a real difference in terms of Electoral College.
0: Yeah, the, the other thing I think that for this Electoral College thing we've been talking about is the distribution of population is now stratified more by party. In other words, we have 3,100 counties approximately in the U.S., and Hillary got the big bulk of her vote from about 200 of them. So I tell all my communist friends here in L.A., you don't like it. Move to Wisconsin (laughs) because you run up the vote in California by millions, but in Electoral College, the rules we have, and they could change in the future, it rewards dispersion a little bit. It kind of works like the Senate, where Rhode Island has two votes and California has two votes. May not like it, but that's what we have.
2: I really wanted to make a joke about how you tell your friends in LA they should move to Wisconsin. You'd, if you were good <laughs> friends, you'd tell them to go to Arizona, not Wisconsin. For God's sakes! I mean, like, <laughs> I'll all defend Wisconsin. It's uh, Milwaukee's a nice town. Come up here like late November. You know well, that's true. You, I you mean, used to, used to live in Michigan. It's not. Uh, it's great in August. It's uh, there's a
0: reason I ain't in Sheboygan right now. Believe yeah. me, so it gets a little cold. It gets a little cold. And besides, I love the joy of socialism. You guys know about that. Paying 180 percent taxes out here just to watch the place burn down. So why would I ever leave California? So I want to thank our guest, the one and only Mark Melman, for giving us the Melman College of Polling knowledge. I think it was very helpful. And uh, Robert, great to join you today on this, uh, this Tuesday's Hacks.
2: Great to join you. And, and Mark, uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to listen to this episode multiple times to, uh, to hear more about polling and to, uh, uh, and to calm themselves down over the next seven weeks. So thanks
1: again. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Great to be with you.
0: Thanks to our great guest, Hackeru Mark Melman. You can follow his must-read column. Everybody in politics reads it at thehill.com. And Mark, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Mark Melman. All right, fantastic. Gibbs, great to be with you as always. As always. We'll see you all next week.
1: Thank you, guys.